you would, continue to stand and take out your Bibles. We'll be continuing in the book of Acts, chapter 10, beginning in verse 34 through 48. Uh, The context of Pastor John's sermon will also cover in part chapter 11. So Acts, chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him. He rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Sends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Help us to hear. Lord God, again, I'm so thankful for your grace. We are thankful for the gospel. Help us to know the gospel, to cling to the gospel, the Lord of the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, The Greek translation of the Bible begins with these words. N-R-K, N-R-K, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 begins, N-R-K, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was with God from the beginning. All things were made by Him, for Him, and through Him. That is Jesus, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Peter, in explaining to the apostles in Jerusalem, in chapter 11, he explains what happened in chapter 10. He says in verse 15, this is chapter 11, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us in our case. In the beginning. 
Acts 10 introduces a new beginning for the Lord's church. Boundaries have been removed between Jew and Gentile. As Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, the mystery revealed. The glory of God in Christ would come to the nations, promised in the Old Testament, although veiled. Christ comes, the light of the world. Paul goes on to describe Two men becoming one in Christ. The middle wall of separation has been broken down in Christ. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. For we are all one in. In Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, the apostle Paul writes, you know, the stewardship given to Paul by God. Look at it, verse 25. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. So that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Christ in you. The hope of glory. We proclaim him. What do you see on the front of our website? First page, we proclaim him. Now, the apostle Peter will do just that before Cornelius and his household, providing for us, beloved, a model outline of what our gospel presentation should look like. If you don't know the gospel, you will today. And I say that because there are folks who began attending this church a decade or so ago, and they admit, though they were saved, they didn't know the gospel. Being under poor teaching that doesn't correctly present the gospel. We proclaim him. So here then, beloved, Acts 10, as I said last Lord's Day, um, is an epic occasion. in in the life of the church. Epic as in age, time. And that's the reason Luke spends so much ink on this occasion, himself being a Gentile. We know that, Colossians 4. So this was um, obviously an important event to emphasize. Cornelius, um, a Gentile centurion, a commander of 100 stationed in the military post of Caesarea, is told by an angel of the Lord to send for Peter, who was in Joppa, staying at Simon the Tanner's home on the Mediterranean coast. Peter had also been given a vision, of course, of the sky opening up, the the sky um, tearing open. It was torn apart. And in the vision, he sees a sheet 
lower down from heaven. It's four corners spread out, and upon it we see all kinds of animals, crawling creatures, and birds, and the Lord says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Oh, certainly not, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean or unholy in my entire life. God says, what I deem clean, don't you call unclean or unholy. And in that moment, God deemed all foods clean, overturning the dietary laws given to the nation of Israel under the old covenant. And through the vision, the Lord shows Peter that he's gathering his elect from the four corners of the earth, from throughout the nations on a white sheet declaring three times what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. So in verses 21 to 23, Peter, perplexed by the message from God, um, entertains these Gentiles sent from Cornelius who were down at the gate of Simon the Tanner's home. He invites them in. Now, Although Jews would not go into the homes of Gentiles, on occasion, they would allow Gentiles into theirs. Why? Well, when you're hosting someone, you set the rules. You establish what is clean and unclean. When you go elsewhere, you don't necessarily have that control. So here they allow these Gentiles in. Peter's just starting to learn. He's just getting rolling now with new covenant awareness, if you will. The next day, Peter and his entourage set out north along the coastal road to Caesarea, a group made up of 10 men, three Gentiles sent from Cornelius, Peter along with six brothers from Joppa, we're told in chapter 11, verse 12. So 10 men en route. The next day, they arrive at Caesarea. Cornelius, he's expecting them, and Peter now is going to enter a Gentile's home. You see the growth? Hey. Verse 25, Cornelius bows down before Peter. Peter, he says, don't do that. Likely embarrassed, for I too am just a, a, a man. So the humility of Cornelius um, in this matter is understandable, but it's unnecessary. You know, later in the book of Revelation, um, this happens to angels and they fervently protest, don't do that. The glory belongs to God. Alone. Now, later on in Acts, we'll see that Herod the king receives worship as Lord. He embraces it, and God strikes him dead. The glory belongs to God alone. So here then, Peter says in verse 28, um, it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Now, Friends, Peter was not referring to God's law, but rather the corruption of the Jewish oral law traditions. Jewish oral law that corrupted 
the word of God. God never put any roadblocks in the way of Gentile conversion under the old covenant. As a matter of fact, you can read in Numbers 15, Gentiles were welcomed to the tabernacle of God as per his prescribed manner of worship. Did you know that? So it's corruption of God's law that he's talking about. You know, the Jews ever since the time of Abraham um, were firmly entrenched in the idea that they were God's special people because of their ethnicity. Some people believe that today. Some Christians I know believe that. True or not true? Not true, and you better know that. God's special people are sitting here this morning. The beloved bride of Christ, those are God's special people. Make no mistake about that, beloved. So verse 28, what was lawful for Peter until Christ, by way of his finished work, is now not lawful. All foods are deemed clean. Verse 29, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. Growth. New covenant maturity here. And we then are given Cornelius' side of the story. This is what happened. Uh, We're given the whole story. All the facts match up. The vision given to him, the vision given to Peter, verse 33. Now then, we are all here present, says Cornelius, before God to hear... Faith comes by hearing, in hearing by the words of Christ. We're all here to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord, Peter. Not we're here gathered present before you, Peter. But we're here present before God to hear what you, his messenger, has to say. Beautiful, isn't it? Verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said. Okay, that's another way of saying something weighty is about to be said. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Notice, in every nation. In other words, the gospel wasn't just for the Jews. What do we read in John 3.16? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That is, God so loved the world, not without exception, because not all will be saved, but rather without what? Distinction, thank you. He came to lay his life down for his sheep, John 10. Look at it, John chapter 10, verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, the fold of Israel. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Another fold, the Gentile fold. For God so loved the world without distinction, he gave his only son. The gospel was not only for Jews. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered in on this white sheet. Now, the preaching 
began in Israel. Gospel preaching began there long ago, made manifest in and through the Messiah, that is Jesus, who is the Christ. Take note, verse 35, notice it says, in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right and acceptable is welcome. Look, the only thing that is right and and acceptable before God is to receive his son. You can't do right or that which is acceptable by rejecting him or ignoring him. Are you with me? For it is in his son that the father is well pleased and only in his son. So Cornelius, notice Cornelius, this centurion, a Roman soldier, was already a heaven-bound believer. He was an old covenant, God-fearing Gentile. And although, although having converted to Judaism, had not yet been converted by God the Holy Spirit. You see this? You see this? Requiring that those gathered together within his household, they must hear the gospel proclaimed. The whole truth. That is the good news, verse 36. Euangelion translated the gospel. Good news. The gospel of peace. The good news of peace. Notice verse 36. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Now, in verses 36 to 43 is is a short summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is peace with God. Friends, the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is not to make people feel better about themselves. Its purpose is for people to be able to have peace with God. Peace with God. Not subjectively, oh, me and the big man upstairs, we're good. Because I feel it inside. No, objective peace. Actual, factual, positional peace with God. You ever hear that? I I get tired of hearing that. I'll give the gospel to someone. You know, me and the big man upstairs, we're good. No, you're not. You're deceived. You reject him is God's only way and and don't realize that, that he's at enmity with you and you're at enmity with him? You're not okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. No, you're not, says the Lord. You're not okay. Or Christ died in vain. But I'm good. No, you're not. This is actual, factual, positional peace with God. That's the good news. That's the gospel. What is the the greatest thing that a rebellious, hell-deserving sinner can be granted who has offended a holy, righteous God, the one and only creator of all? before whom everyone stands guilty 
the most important thing we have is the gospel of peace with God. Without which you're at enmity with him and he's at enmity with you, says the scriptures. You see, this is why the good news is so good, friends. As I told you before, my doctor, I love my doctors. One, one doctor in particular told me, so I hope you make people that come listen to you feel good. <laughs> I said, well, Christians may feel good, but the message I preach is a divisive message. Not only does it unite, it also divides because it's the gospel. There is but one way to God. There is but one way to have peace with God, and it's through his beloved son, who, as we shall see, came to bear the curse you deserve. I deserve. There's no gospel without that message being clearly conveyed, and we're going to see how to clearly convey that message throughout the text this morning. That is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, look at it. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through, reconciliation comes through, Christ alone, providing peace with God, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what I was talking about earlier. We have the ministry. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So how do we describe the ministry of the church? How do we describe, how do we define the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ, the, our ministry here this morning? And let me say this, it is not first and, more, first and foremost a ministry of good deeds, although that's important. It's not a ministry of, of social, political concerns, although those things can be important. It is not a focus on the stress points of culture. It is, our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation that begins not with man, but with God. You always start with God. I remind people, as you know, beloved, bear with me, visitors come periodically and they're shocked uh, by that type of service. They may say, well, this is kind of old-fashioned. No, it's not old-fashioned. The point of worship is that it's not about you. It's all about God and the reconciliation he provides from heaven above to sinners below. Having been reconciled, our eyes, our souls, our hearts have been lifted up to worship this king. Notice verse 19. Namely, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world, notice not just Israel, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Friends, that is, what preci that is precisely what Peter begins the gospel message with right here. Peace with God. Reconciliation. You know, people will often say, man, I shared the gospel. And then they'll proceed to say how Jesus changed their life. They give their testimony. Your testimony's good? Yeah, testimonies are great. Testimonies are wonderful, but we mustn't confuse our testimony with the gospel. We mustn't confuse our testimony with um, evangelism. That's the door that, 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 that perhaps may open the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. 
but it's not the gospel. I've actually heard ministers, preachers who often give their testimony in a sermon, and they'll talk about how God delivered them immediately from drug addiction. And they'll go on to say that from that moment on, the desire to even do drugs disappeared. If you want the same for your life, repeat this prayer after me. That's not the gospel. And it's really bad news for people who sit there who struggle still desiring these things. And it causes the gospel to be misconstrued. That's not the gospel. God loves you. That's great to hear. That's <laughs> yeah, great to hear. That's not the gospel. Jesus loves you, has a plan for your life. That's not the gospel. The content of the gospel hasn't anything to do with you. The content of the gospel has nothing to do with me. The focus of the gospel is entirely upon, is on the, the, the work and person of Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. Amen. Let the church say amen. amen. <laughs> the power of God unto salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who provides peace with God. That's the first thing we need to know about presenting the gospel. The second thing is, is that Jesus was God who became a man. He lived on this earth in a human body. Point number two, verse 37. You yourselves know the things which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. Okay, now that thing or, or those things became public knowledge. Those things. Now, these Gentiles, they are not ignorant concerning the historical facts of what had taken place in and through the life of Jesus Christ. And, and this is almost 10 years down the road from his resurrection and ascension. Friends, Christianity is firmly based in historical facts and events, grounded in time and space, not grounded in, in the musings and or the hallucinations, hallucinations of men who lived long ago, like Muhammad. Do you hear that? These things actually, factually happened. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, God's only son. Now, this Cornelius knows. They're aware of this. What the household of Cornelius is ignorant about is what it means for them, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Oh, he's about to hear. He's not converted yet by the Holy Spirit. He's converted to Judaism. The Holy Spirit hasn't converted him to Christ yet. Therefore, he must what? Hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing. Friends, that is why biblical history is not merely history. It is what kind of history? Redemptive history. 
redemptive history. That's what the Bible is. God's foreordained plan of reconciling sinners from the four corners of the earth, Jews and Gentiles, all nations, unto himself. It's always been his plan. It's never been, the church is not God's plan B or God's great parenthesis, as, as dispensationalists call it. Dispensationalists call it. No, it's God's plan A. There's only one plan. There's only been one plan. Verse 38, you know, <laughs> you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, referring to the commencement of his earthly public ministry, for instance, in Mark chapter 10, verse 1, notice, or ch chapter 1, verse 10, he saw the heavens, this is at his baptism, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him and a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Who's present in that scene? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's because of the Son in whom the Father is well pleased that he gathers his elect from the four corners of the earth. In this scene, in Mark 1, the heavens are torn open. They, they open up, a spirit falls, descending upon him like a dove, anoints him and enables him to be driven out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 30 days. He doesn't fail like Israel did in the desert. He comes out as the conquering king. So that it's very important for Cornelius and his household to hear these words, how God anointed Jesus at the commencement of his ministry with the Holy Spirit and power, verse 38. Not only because of the Christological implications involved, that's very important that they understand and we understand, but here they want, need to understand what happened to Jesus because of what's going to happen to them in verse 44. The same Holy Spirit who anointed Jesus, their king, will anoint them, will fall upon them, uniting them to Christ. You see this? this is, I was really excited in doing this. Are you excited? This is very exciting. So here now Peter proceeds to talk about, to declare the mighty works of Jesus for which these Gentiles would have heard about. His ministerial work began publicly. It didn't unfold in a corner somewhere. His, 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 his ministry was very public. Verse 38, he goes on to say, you know how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him we are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Children, children, do you remember who was first in the Gospels to recognize that Jesus was indeed the Son of God? Do you remember? Think about that. Some big kid over here with a deep voice. <laughs> said what all they were thinking. Demons. Who was the first to recognize Jesus as the Son of God? Demo demons within those they possessed through the vocal cords. Remember they cried out, we know who you are. You are the Son of God. Have you come before the time to destroy us? 
the demonic realm were the first to recognize Jesus as the son of the living God in a human body. How he delivered those who were oppressed, how he healed. So Peter calls attention to the mighty deeds of Jesus, which validate his ministry and mission. Power over the demonic realm. The fact that he performed signs, miracles, and wonders that were unique, follow me, unique to the ministry of Messiah foretold in the Old Testament. Look at it. Isaiah 35. When he comes, then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. These are all elements that go with the gospel, beloved. These are the things we proclaim. Notice he went about doing good and healing. There again, the gospel is his life, not our life. It's his life. It's his ministry. And after his ministry, after three and a half years of, of that kind of ministry, the ministry of power over the demonic realm, the, 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 the power over death and disease, then, verse 39, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, the cross. So notice Peter in his preaching pretty much races to the cross. When you preach, when you proclaim the gospel, make sure you get to the cross. Let me tell you this, any preaching that omits the cross is not evangelism, it's not the gospel. Because on the cross, Christ becomes the curse that we deserve. Don't bypass the cross. Ministers today bypass the cross. Beware lest many of you become preachers. Beware lest many of you become teachers, knowing that we will incur stricter what? Judgment. I don't know what that is, but it scares me to death. So I'm going to stick to the text every week. No dreams or visions coming from up here, friends. The only dreams and visions you're going to hear about come from the text not from my life. Look at Galatians 3, verse 13. The Apostle Paul. Christ redeemed us from the what? The curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the what? Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, not sight, faith, which is a gift, a gracious, precious gift. Your blind eyes have been opened. The veil has been lifted. Heart of stone has been taken out, replaced with a heart of flesh. That's what you are here this morning by grace alone. The only holy one, the righteous one, the sinless one, came, lived, and died bearing God's curse against sin and sinners, having never sinned. You know, in, in our day, there, there are those who will actually say, you know, preaching the cross is something from another place in time. You know, millennials, they're just, it's not appealing to them. Too bad. 
It's so barbaric. Yes, it is. It's meant to be. Don't bypass the cross. It, it, it's a revolting ancient act, a bloody Roman cross. It's a turnoff. Of course it is. It's an offense. And a great offense. It shows you you can't do it. You can't pay for your own sin. You can't atone for your own sin. Atonement was made at the cross. So these preachers today who bypass the cross, instead, their messages are more like this. God is love. Is God love? Yes, he is, but that's not all he is. He's also just. He's also right. You know, just you know, go live your best life now. Love everybody along the way. And in the end, you know, you do good and you be good. And those of us who do good and be good will all make it there in the end. Wrong. No, you will not. We just don't want to mention Jesus and the shedding of his blood. Just be good. Friends, moralism isn't the gospel. That's why we sing about the cross. That's why Ryan leads us in songs that are actually biblical. You know, draw me close to you and never let me go. That, that's a sweet song, and I sing it to my wife. <laughs> you could sing that song about it to anybody, to anyone. There's nothing in there about Christ or the cross. So we want our songs to be theological. We sing the word, amen? We sing theology. We, we sing and we preach Christ crucified. He shed his blood on a Roman cross, the instrument of execution in that day, which was brutal and horrific. That's the time he was born on time to bear punishment from God, nailed to the cross, shedding his blood. But that wasn't the greatest punishment. The punishment was God would turn his face from his son and Jesus would bear the penalty of hell while on the cross, cursed by God. This is the gospel. He made peace with God by reaping the unmitigated wrath of the Father on the cross, becoming sin, having never sinned, so that we might be declared righteous in him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. That's the good news of peace, provided by way of the Roman cross. You know, sometimes people will ask, could Jesus have atoned for my sins by just pricking his finger and a drop of blood coming out because his blood is so pure and holy, it's sinless and flawless? Could just a drop of his blood atone for my sins? Answer, no. Is it holy enough? Yes, but that's not the point. The point is life is in the blood. And Jesus came and spilt his blood unto death. Atoning. For his sheep. That's the good news. Was Jesus' death enough to save me? No. He had to live a perfect life first, 
bear God's curse on the cross, die, literally die, physically die in order to make atonement, and even that wasn't enough because he had to, he had to rise again. Was his resurrection enough? Answer, no. Lazarus was raised from the dead. He's not a savior. The savior had to come, live a perfect, sinless life, be cursed of God, die, and then be raised again to provide atonement, a righteous standing before God, to declare you free from all blame, forgiving your sins as far as the east is from the west. Therefore, Acts 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. Buddha's not going to do, do it for you. Muhammad's not going to do it for you. Confucius ain't going to do it for you. Your little goodness in and of yourself is not going to do it for you. No, there is one name, there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be what? Saved from God's wrath, by God's grace, for his glory. That's the gospel. The glorious, beautiful gospel. Now, Peter goes on to continue um, talking about the reality of his resurrection. For in that day, you know, they were accusing, uh, unbelievers were accusing the disciples of stealing the body and all this type of thing. Um, notice verse 40, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So, so Peter testifies to having ate and drank with Jesus, confirming that Jesus is alive and not just some mystical spirit. He, 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 he is in a body, a human body, raised again, a body that eats and drinks. So Jesus, forever the God-man, given a resurrection and glorified body that will, a body that he will never leave again. Ever. And is a prototype of the body for those who are in Christ that on the last day you will receive. You understand this? It's 1 John 3, isn't it? Verse 2, beloved, now we are children of God. We are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be what? Like him, because we will see him just as he is. And as much as glorified humanity can be like incarnate deity, we will be without becoming deity. You're going to be like him, a body like his. That's really exciting. For then, Jesus said in Matthew 13, for then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Can you imagine just the reflected glory of Jesus Christ? Resurrected bodies in Christ? And like our Savior, we will also eat and drink in those glorified bodies forever and ever. Do you like to eat and drink? I realized how much I need to eat. You won't need to eat then, but you'll get to eat then. Today we need to eat. What do we call it when, when, we're, when I get 
like an attitude? Hangry. Yeah, hangry. <sighs> you ever get hangry? You won't get hangry in heaven, but you get to eat in heaven. As a matter of fact, just as the disciples of our Lord had broken bread and drunk wine with Jesus during his earthly ministry, all who are in Christ will eat the best food and drink the finest wine with him there. Jesus said in Matthew 26, on his last night here, I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, dressed as you will be in fine linen, bright and pure, Revelation 19, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Glory be. Verse 42. Don't leave this part out of your gospel presentation. Verse 42. Don't leave any of it out. People in our day love to leave this part out. Verse 42. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Hmm. This is another element of the gospel, beloved. Jesus is judge. And the fact that Jesus is judge of all runs counter to contemporary evangelical lingo. R.C. Sproul said this. He's in heaven now. Did you know that? If you haven't read Sproul, you need to go read Sproul. Of all his contemporaries, these great-minded, great theologically-minded men, you need to go listen to what they say and what they have written about R.C. Sproul, and you need to read Sproul. He said this. Quote, this is in his commentary. Today people say, I gave Jesus permission to be Lord of my life. That is arrogant patronage. We do not give Jesus permission to be Lord of our life. He is Lord of our life. He is the one who gives permission, not we. We are a narcissistic culture such as the world has never seen before. We think that salvation is all bound up in what we do and what we allow. Is this not true today? Jesus is our judge, he goes on to say, not just after we die, but right now. How popular is that gospel? Asks Sproul, end of quote. It's not. John 3, 18, whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned what? Already. Jesus, John 5, said the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Friends, when our faith and trust is in Christ, that is Christ alone, the judge becomes our friend. The judge becomes our advocate. The judge becomes our rightful representative ever living to make intercession for you, no longer your judge, because he was judged in your place. He's the judge. Here come the judge. Of him, verse 43, 
all the prophets bear witness that through his name, through his name, everyone who believes in him receives what? Look at that. Read that word. Read those words out loud. Forgiveness of sins. Which ones? All of them. Every single one of them. We bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him, that means you entrust yourself to him. It doesn't mean you believe about him. Not intellectual assent. You submit your very life to him. You trust in him. He is my righteousness. I have none. In myself, in and of myself, I've got nothing. Amen? Okay, now, we're wrapping up. Peter's sermon would be powerless, it would be pointless, it would be meaningless if verses 44 to 48 does not take place, at least for these people. Might have been a message that would seal them in their unbelief, but notice that doesn't happen. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were what? Listening to the message. All who were listening to the message were convicted, convinced, and converted. You have to be convicted. You have to be convinced, and you must be converted. The work of the Holy Spirit as the gospel is preached. Notice there's no invitation. There's no pleading that God would give them the Holy Spirit. He just falls as the word is preached. You know, without the, pre- with, without the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of the gospel is powerless and useless to sinners, unregenerate sinners. There again, what does a spirit-led church look like? What is the focus of a spirit-led church? They preach Christ. Jesus said, He, when I send him the Holy Spirit, he will bear witness, not about himself, he'll bear witness of me. So if you want to know what a a spirit-filled church looks like or feels like, they preach Christ, the whole counsel of God. If their focus is on the Holy Spirit, solely on the Holy Spirit, that's not a spirit-filled, spirit-led church. You must preach Christ. You know, today there's this prominent belief referred to as natural theology. I'm not talking about general revelation. They call it natural theology, teaching that man inherently has the ability to reason himself to God apart from divine revelation. That they can reason themselves to God apart from the living scriptures accompanied by the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit. True or false? False. If you, if, if, if you can reason yourself to God, you know where that theory leads you? It leads you to this lie that all belief systems in the world are on equal footing with Christianity because I say so within. That's a lie from the pit of hell, friends. The gospel must be declared, and if the Holy Spirit does not accompany that work to enlighten the souls of men by way of the living scriptures, you're doomed. That's why we preach Christ. 
the means to his end is the proclamation of his gospel. Amen? We don't change that. We don't meddle with that. Because man is unable to reason himself to God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Or to read from the Holman Christian Standard Translation, he's not able to know it since it is evaluated spiritually and unbelievers are spiritually what? Dead. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the word of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are what? Perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Friends, if you're one who is here this morning and you're listening to this message and you're going, this is nonsense, this is foolish, let me say to you gently, lovingly, but truthfully, you are on the road that Jesus declared is broad and it leads to destruction. And by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, repent and believe and you shall be saved. If you think this is foolishness, you are presently perishing. And only God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the living word of God proclaimed, heralded without apology, will save you. If you came in here thinking it's foolishness, and all of a sudden you're scratching your head going, man, I'm going to die, and I don't think I'm right with God, call out to him for his mercy, and if you call out to him for his mercy, and he's here working in your life, I guarantee you, he will save you. You hear me? Verse 45, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. What does that sound like? Pentecost in Jerusalem that happened to the Jews. Therefore, this is a kind of like a Gentile Pentecost through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So here they go on, they receive the Spirit, they're transformed, they openly, visibly declare allegiance to Jesus Christ, and they submit to baptism. You know, people in the first century took baptism much more seriously than Christians do today. Friends, if you're a Christian, you've been granted faith to believe and you love Jesus. And let me tell you, the reason you love Jesus is because he first loved you. He's shown forth his love. He condescended to come to you and to save you, to open your eyes, to change your heart. And now you love Jesus. You truly love Jesus. You know you love Jesus. You're not baptized. You need to be baptized because you're being disobedient to the command to be baptized. So be baptized. Come see me and we'll set it up. Amen? In verse 48, then they asked him to stay for a few days, to stay on, to hold on, stay near, draw near, stay, teach us, minister to us. And Peter undoubtedly stayed and carried out the Lord's great commission. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, 
They were baptized in the name of Jesus, which has to do with his person, with, with his work, and, and, and God Almighty, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He baptizes them, teaching them to observe, Jesus said, all that I have commanded, you. So how long did he stay on? Don't know. However, once he's finished there, Peter will eventually report this to the apostles and the brothers in Jerusalem, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and notice it's to the circumcision party. Now, the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God, and when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. Of course they did. They're there where Peter once was, ignorant, back in chapter 12. Peter, rise, kill, eat. No, Lord. The food I've eaten clean represents something greater than itself. Yes, the food is clean. There are no foods that are unclean. And anyone I declare is right, they're right. Pure. Jew or Gentile. So here they are. They took issue. Notice, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, and he goes on to define what happened. Verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning, an Therefore, verse 17, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? You better get out of the way. Amen? When they heard this, they quieted down. Of course they did. Are they better? The circumcision party quieted down. And glorified God, saying, well then, <laughs> God has granted that the Gentiles also, uh, notice God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. There's your Gentile Pentecost by way of the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly proclaimed. Notice, who, who grants repentance here, by the way? Did the Gentiles grant their own repentance? Did you grant repentance before Almighty God? No. God granted them repentance. Well, why do you command people to repent? It's a means to God's end. The power of declared truth. Repent and believe. And if God is working in your life at that moment, those words become powerful and impacts you by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, granting you what you need to come to God. Repentance. Okay, now to close. Did I say that already? I didn't mean it. I fumbled. I said to wrap up. So that's wrapping up what happened, now the application. <laughs> now, as for our evangelistic efforts, beloved, notice, what was common for Peter to be able to say to Cornelius is not so common for us anymore, and that is you know. Notice, verse 37, you yourselves know the things that took place throughout all Judea. Friends, there was a time where you and I were able to say, you know the message of the gospel. You might reject it, but you know it. You can't say that anymore. This is a paganized society. 
Back in the 70s, when my dad came to faith, my mom and dad, you could say, you know. We don't live in that time or place. Those days are long gone. When I give the gospel, I assume they know nothing. So here's your outline. And here, Peter provides a model for us to follow in giving a presentation of Jesus Christ. The life, the work, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the fact that Jesus is judge. Jesus the Christ, son of the living God. Ask people, do you believe Jesus? Have you ever heard of Jesus? Yes. Do you believe he's the Christ? They won't know what to do after that because they think it's his last name. You go on to define and describe what Christ means. He's the royal anointed one sent from the Father. He came from heaven. He took on a human body. He proved he was Messiah, that is Christ. By what he did on earth, the miracles, the wonders, the signs, and all that, and just follow this pattern. Amen? And now he's judge. Your judge, my friend, whoever your friend is, and he can become your friend and your advocate if you repent and believe upon him and what God has done in and through him for sinners. Bow down, repent, believe, and the judge becomes your rightful representative before the Father. That's the gospel. Friends, we're not, we're, we're not supposed to labor, labor at being clever rhetoricians, to be so articulate that we can just win arguments. Amen? Okay, now our friends are going because, okay, my friend has a PhD to, to teach at high levels and so on. Friends, you do not need a PhD in philosophy to present the gospel. Amen? Amen. But you need one to teach at that level. <laughs> but not to preach the gospel. Are you hearing me? Amen. All we need to do is be faithful to God's word because the gospel is the means to his end in saving people. So just proclaim it step by step. For God has chosen you. He's chosen me. 1 Corinthians 1.27, the foolish things of the world. To confound the seemingly wise. Wise in the world's eyes but only seemingly wise. This is the gospel. Without it, we might as well go home, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. This is the gospel. No one can, nor will anyone ever have peace with God without the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed and the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit that accompanies that glorious message. This is God's gospel. So here in a few short verses, we have a wonderful power of example of gospel proclamation. Take it home, memorize it, know it deep within, pray to God to help you to declare this truth when he gives you opportunity to do so, while at the same time praying that he'll prepare their hearts to have ears to hear and in hearts to receive it. It's not on you to convert them. That's his job. Just preach it, bring it in love. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 14, back up, here we are, we close here, now then, verse 33, this is Cornelius, Cornelius, we're all here present before God to hear 
all that you have been commanded by the Lord, Peter. Verse 43, everyone who believes in him, that is who hears and believes in him, receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen? He who has ears to hear, let him hear the word of God. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your justice, your kindness, your wrath, all of which met at the cross. Your hate landed on the cross. Your love landed on the cross. Your justice landed on the cross. Your mercy landed on the cross. Not on the cross, but the one who was hanging on the cross. Your son sent from heaven to take on humanity to do what we fail, and that is to bring you glory. We've sinned against you radically. can only be saved by the radical work of the cross. Let us hear, let us convey this truth in love, but by the power of your spirit, anyone with an earshot this morning who came in or is listening as an unbeliever, we pray that you'll bring them to life for your glory and their own good. For Christ's sake we pray, amen.